0: Two, one. 7 things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East and this, this is the Sunday Cell. In today's episode we hear about a breakthrough HIV cure, the future of energy and how you can literally lose weight in your sleep. But first, it was this week in 1883 that the first commercial production of Nylon began. It was first put to use in toothbrush bristles. Before this, the world relied on the neck hairs of wild pigs. Aren't well, you glad times have changed? The patient in the United States has become the first woman to be cured of HIV, as well as the third person ever to be cured of the virus. The cured woman of mixed race who also had leukemia received a stem cell transplant from a donor. This stem cell treatment used a new method involving umbilical cord blood from a partially matched donor instead of a similar race and ethnicity. Researchers on Tuesday announced that this new approach holds the potential for curing more people of racially diverse backgrounds. Here's Dr. Marshall Glesby, an infectious disease specialist who was part of the research team.
1: We're very excited to share uh, our patient's story. It's particularly notable because she's uh, the first woman who's uh, achieved a long-term remission of HIV. And it's particularly important because worldwide women Uh, constitute over half of people living with HIV. The patient
0: had both HIV and leukemia, cancer that starts in the bone marrow. For this, she received a stem cell transplant. However, the donor was naturally resistant to the virus that causes AIDS. Since then, her HIV has been in remission for over a year without the need for antiretroviral therapy. Sharon Lewin, in the head of the International AIDS Society, says the results from this patient are encouraging.
2: Well, this first of all, tells us or confirms that a cure is indeed possible and scientists need to keep working to find a cure. So at the moment, we have great treatments for people with HIV. They live long and healthy lives if they take antiviral therapy. But you need to take antiviral therapy for life. And as soon as you stop that treatment, virus rapidly comes back. Whilst
0: the cure seems just over the horizon, Sharon is still remaining cautious.
2: We always are a bit cautious in this setting because... This kind of intervention, a bone marrow transplant, would not be appropriate for people living with HIV. This woman received a bone marrow transplant because she also had a blood cancer that needed to be treated. The
0: case is part of a larger study following 25 people with HIV and cancer treated with an umbilical cord stem cell transplant. Whilst there are still limitations to those who can receive the treatment, doctors are one step closer to finding HIV's elusive cure. The remains of a woolly mammoth and other Ice Age animals have been uncovered on a construction site in Devon. The bones, including those of a woolly rhinoceros, wolf and hyena, are thought to date to the last ice age, about 30 to 60,000 years ago. Rob Bourne is an archeologist and co-founder of Orion Heritage, and he was certainly happy about the find. There are once, once in a lifetime discovery. These sorts of things are not found very often. Experts believe these extinct animals tragically fell into a pit, and they hope the discoveries can give more insight into early Britain. The Ice Age bones are now undergoing academic analysis and conservation, but it's hoped that Plymouth's newest museum, the Box Museum, will provide a home to the remains. Fiona Pitt is curator at the museum.
2: These pieces are amazing and incredible because there's so many almost complete um, animals represented. This is definitely a nationally um, significant collection um, and has international significance at some levels as well.
0: Still to come on the Sunday 7, the future of batteries and why a group of scientists are looking at clouds to help solve the climate crisis. startup is on a mission to make batteries more
3: sustainable. Everybody was thinking about how to make batteries now. Not many people were thinking about what happens to them afterward.
0: That voice you just heard was Carlton Cummings, CTO and co-founder of Acceleron. The company claims to have designed the world's most sustainable lithium-ion battery, one that's reusable, repairable and recyclable. Speaking to Euronews, Carlton explained that as we look to decarbonise, batteries are becoming more and more critical. While regenerative energy systems offer hope, the sun doesn't always shine when we need electricity and the wind doesn't always blow, which means we need some method of storing the power. Fundamentally,
3: the way batteries are conventionally made for automobiles to consumer electronics is that many of the components inside the battery are either welded or glued together. This creates a massive challenge if the product or when the product needs to be repaired, and it also becomes a challenge when it needs to be recycled because everything was put together in a permanent assembly method.
0: So Carlton and his co-founder wanted to think differently about how batteries are made in the first place.
3: Thinking about the whole life cycle of the product, at some point it does need to be disposed. We made the product using a compression technology that we've patented and created ourselves that allows you to easily assemble and disassemble the product which enables easy repair, easy reuse, upgrade, and recycling.
0: This means they can keep a battery in service for much longer, reducing the waste that's generated.
3: With battery technology continually improving over the years, why would people want to be stuck with today's technology in 10, 15 years' time? So, by making a battery that's designed to enable upgrade, we have unlocked the potential for energy storage to improve as well. Looking forward into energy storage years ahead, I think what I'm really hoping for the most is that people come to realize the the full potential of energy storage. Uh, A battery is an enabling technology. It allows you to store stuff. It's an energy bucket. And that then allows you to create and do things that were not possible prior. So I'm really excited to see batteries enable industries that they really don't touch on significantly right now. Prosthetics, you know, large scale energy, you know, energy on a much smaller scale, more consumer devices powered by clean energy, enabled by better batteries. Those are all possibilities that I'm very excited about.
0: The Earth's climate is a huge puzzle, and being able to understand all the different mechanisms involved requires piecing together massive amounts of data. Developing reliable climate models requires us to understand the exact roles that clouds play, and this is currently missing. To fill this gap, an international team of scientists recently carried out air measurements on an unprecedented scale.
4: This campaign is called Kalisto, and it takes place at a mountain called Hilmos in southern Greece, in the Peloponnese. It's located at an altitude of almost 2,500 metres. And its goal is to understand how particles that come from all over Europe and Africa and the Mediterranean affect clouds that are formed on the mountain.
0: That's the voice of Athanasios Nienz, an atmospheric researcher
4: from Switzerland's EPFL. If we stay there long enough, we can actually sample almost any type of particle that exists all over the world and see how they affect clouds. What do we mean by particles? These are tiny, tiny, little pieces of matter that are much smaller than we can see, smaller than the thickness of your hair. Now, even though they're very small, they have huge impacts because every cloud droplet and ice crystal that we find in clouds forms upon these particles. Now, without particles, actually, we wouldn't almost have any clouds in the atmosphere. So they're really important. Now, what we care about is how different types of particles actually affect cloud properties.
0: Particles of sand from the Sahara Desert, for example, will have a very different effect on clouds from those produced by forest fires. And that's what the team wanted to study with this measurement campaign.
4: Clouds are a critical component of the climate system. They are responsible for transporting water from the equator to the poles. They're responsible for precipitation, so water supply, the hydrological cycle. Clouds are also really important for regulating how much energy comes from the sun into the actual earth. Much of the sunlight gets reflected back to space and does not warm climate. Understanding what controls cloud properties, how much of them we have around, how frequently they rain, is really critical. And that's what climate models need to include to have good predictions of climate and climate change. Still to
0: come on the Sunday Sabbath, how you can lose weight in your sleep and the new discovery that could rewrite human history. Right after this. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. It almost sounds too good to be true. Sleeping for an extra hour every night can help you lose weight, new research reveals. A team from the University of Chicago wanted to look at how sleep interacts with obesity. Led by Dr. Ezra Tassali, the team saw that overweight adults who regularly slept fewer than six and a half hours a night were able to add an extra 1.2 hours per night after undergoing counseling to improve their sleeping habits. Without any diet tips or alterations to exercise habits, these participants were able to shave an impressive 270 calories off their daily diet.
5: I think it's important to remember that it's not just about spending fewer calories because you spend more time in bed. But when you wake up rested, your body systems are better regulated. Your appetite hormones are better regulated. Your brain tells you to eat less and you feel less hungry and then consume less calories. It translates into a weight loss of 12 kilograms over three years.
0: And if you're scratching your head wondering where you can get this extra hour of shut-eye...
5: What we observed is that extending sleep may not be as hard as people think. Small changes in sleep behaviours around bedtime or in the morning can make a big difference in the amount of extra sleep you can add to your daily routine. In our study we considered people's work schedules, social obligations, bed partners, children, pets, And what we saw was most effective intervention in our sleep hygiene program was limiting the use of electronic devices before bedtime. But other um, interventions you could do is uh, controlling the light better in your bedroom, reducing the light, uh, reducing stimulating activities. And one of the things that our participants were surprised about that reading a hardcover book which most of us uh, are forgetting these days in this digital era, is something that is really effective in helping you um, uh, get uh, getting extra sleep each night. Getting sufficient sleep is not important just for your brain, but also for the rest of your body. Really, to every cell in your body, there will be benefits from getting sufficient sleep. And we need new tools as society to tackle the obesity epidemic. And I think our study speaks to that. If you look at it, actual weight loss is centered around patients' behavior. And with this study, we're giving uh, people a new tool to feel less hungry and eat fewer calories if they're in a weight loss program. So in a way, getting sufficient sleep could be a game changer in terms of tackling the obesity epidemic both in adults and children.
0: As global temperatures rise, some of our household faves could be under threat due to climate change. This comes as new research commissioned by Fairtrade reveals in the next three decades will see a drastic decline in banana yields as well as cocoa. However, the data also reveals that 60% of Brits are completely unaware of the threats that climate change poses to our food. Sarah Cardi is a development and rural livelihood expert from the University of Reading,
2: and she explains... Small rises in temperature, just uh, 2.1 degrees Celsius could leave almost 90% of land that's used to cultivate cocoa unsuitable by 2050. So these small changes or seemingly small changes in climate can have a really detrimental effect on um, agricultural production and of commodities that we're really used to being able to consume. But many people don't understand or don't know that there is a link between climate change and these diminishing resources. They also are, don't know that there is a link between fair pricing and paying farmers fairly and the increasing the ability of farmers to make choices that will have a more positive impact on their ability to mitigate the effects of climate change on their agriculture and growing.
0: Smallholder farmers in poorer countries are on the front lines of the climate crisis, with droughts, floods and storms severely threatening livelihoods of producers across Africa, Asia and South America. For these farmers and workers, a decent income is absolutely essential for building resilience to climate shocks and ensuring they can adapt to a continually
2: evolving climate. So we are heavily reliant on family farming. And these are small farms that are often less than five hectares of soil. As we see increases in extreme weather events, things like typhoons and hurricanes, that land becomes less fertile, a lot more uh, soil is lost, crop diseases spread, the ability of farmers to make choices about when to harvest crops so that they don't get destroyed by extreme weather events uh, becomes more and more difficult. And if there are changes in farming practice and climate patterns that they're constantly adapting to, that makes it harder for them to be productive. Also, the, the decrease in soil fertility and the decrease in the actual productivity of the land has a negative effect on what they're able to produce, which then has an effect on their livelihoods. What we can do as individuals is to be much more conscious about how we consume and what we consume. New research that was done by the Fairtrade Foundation suggests that most of the respondents, 84% of the respondents, do believe that more should be done to prevent harmful trade practices. And more than two-thirds of them, so 67% of them, agree that people can and should spend their money in ways that help to combat um, exploitative and harmful trade. So... What we can do as individuals is look at where is our food coming from? How is it being produced? What are the conditions that it's being produced under? Who's growing it and how much money are they making? So an easy way to do that is to look at buying foods and goods that are fair trade um, and understanding the history and the production of what we consume.
0: It's a discovery that could rewrite history. New researchers discovered that Homo sapiens existed in Europe 10,000 years earlier than once thought, meaning a potential coexistence with Neanderthals.
4: And This find shows that there were modern humans there about 54,000 years ago, much earlier than we thought. And what's interesting is the Neanderthals actually come back afterwards.
0: That's Chris Stringer, a researcher on human evolution from the Natural History Museum. An archaeology team from the University of Toulouse discovered a child's tooth and stone tools in a case in southern France. The tools were made with sharp points, a design thought to be for the arrows and darts used for hunting by early modern humans. The clearest evidence is the single baby tooth from a modern human child aged between two and six that was found in a layer of clay and sand sediments on the floor of the cave. This find is is probably the first of many that we're going to get a lot more information about this interaction time of the last Neanderthals and the first modern humans and it will come from more fossil discoveries and also particularly important getting DNA evidence from some of these uh, rather fragmentary fossils. The discovery of the Homo sapiens stay 54,000 years ago means the arrival of modern humans in Europe is more complex than once thought. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced
2: and published by Daft Doris.